Hello, welcome to the Sweet Slumber podcast, the good, the bad, and the sleep deprived. I'm your host, Meredith Bruff, and I am excited to talk to you today about newborn sleep. Right now, I have several clients with newborns, and that doesn't mean I'm working with people in the first week or the second week, but I did have some people start with me in the third week, which I think is pretty amazing that those moms could even be thinking about sleep or being, being organized or even ready to use their brains. <laughs> when I had my children and I had these talents and abilities, um, I still waited till my kids were like a month old to apply the things that I knew would work and help. And I felt like that gave me some time and some space to just be okay with survival mode and not have pressure. But some people really thrive on structure and they cannot wait to get it back in their lives. So I think that's why some people are ready to start so early. Um, most people wait until their babies are three or four months old. I feel like that is just a, a common understanding that people think those first few months, we just need to leave them alone and we shouldn't worry about schedules. We shouldn't worry about sleep at all until the kid is closer to four months old kid, maybe. But that also comes from a lot of um, belief and pressure and commentary about how you should wait till four to six months to sleep train. Um, and I actually don't pay attention to that stuff because my methods are based on using nature and being responsive and keeping babies at peace and calm. So it really doesn't matter when you start. If there's some simple tips, some simple things you could do early, why not do them, right? Um, I've had some people say to me that when you start early, you know, they're getting their babies to sleep really well much sooner. And some people are okay with the waking up every two or three hours for months. So it just, you know, it's just your needs, your perspective, and also what you're feeling from your baby. I have most of my clients with newborns, um, their babies are going through different health challenges. And that is usually something to do with their digestive systems, stomach problems, tongue tie, that sort of thing. And so for those moms, they really wanted my support. They wanted to be able to come to me and be like, hey, this is awful. I feel terrible. I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like a failure. It's so stressful. Can you help me? And so that was the main reason we started early. And then I know that there's very simple things you can do in my programs that lead to strong sleep habits soon and they're lasting. Um, some of the things that I see when people start early are longer naps. Um, more resiliency and stronger sleep habits during regressions. So the sooner the better. Also, a lot of habits can start that are harder to break. Kids can become more aware, more opinionated, more demanding as they get older. And you know what? That's still going to happen. But let's just try not to have it affect the process of building sleep habits. That's my thoughts. Okay, so I just want to give you some really basic tips today on how to shape your child's sleep. And you can take or leave anything that I say, okay? Don't feel pressured to do anything yet if you have a young baby. 
I don't want you to feel like you're supposed to be doing better or different than you are. Because like I said, I gave myself grace that first month and didn't worry about anything, just survival. And you know what? My first kid, I didn't know anything about sleep or anything about the stuff that I teach you. And so I promise you my survival mode was pretty ugly. (laughs) I mean, I felt some shame about it for a while because I was... I wasn't getting dressed till like 5 p.m. I wasn't remembering to eat or drink until like 5 p.m. I just felt like a zombie and I would just sit and hold my baby and take care of him. And around that time, I'd realize I was hungry or thirsty. I was living in a, um, we were kind of like house sitting for people. And it was the basement that we used. And we would go up the stairs to the kitchen to cook or get food or whatever and so it's just really easy for me to disregard my needs is so bad so anyways um the things that I focus on at this age this would be as early as you want two weeks four weeks um two months three months four months um those things are going to be based more on taking advantage of nature and so I'm just going to give you a handful of principles right now Uh, based on nature. One would be that we really want to make sure we're programming or regulating our baby's bodies to uh, keep days and nights separate, clear, sure. Nobody likes having a baby waking up every hour at night and then sleeping all day. Okay, well, maybe it's nice to get some breaks during the day, but you really don't want to live with that at night, right? It's just so hard when you're exhausted to be getting up every hour to never go to sleep, whatever that looks like. So taking advantage of sunlight to regulate a baby's body would look like instantly opening up the curtains in the morning, making sure baby's very clear on, hey, it's daytime, even if your baby doesn't wake up for it. Um, take your baby out for a walk in the morning. That's even better because the fresh air is good for them. The UV rays are good for the skin. Um, the hormone production, hormone release happens when sunlight hits the bare skin and the bare eyes. So we want to take advantage of that. You can go outside more than once, but in that first hour or two of the day is a really, really good time to at some point help your baby break down and release melatonin. Um, And I say sometime because they don't produce their own melatonin until about two to four months old. And moms can give melatonin to their babies through their breast milk. So they're still needing it and using it. They just don't produce it themselves. Um, But there's a really great process. The sunlight will trigger serotonin when it touches your eyes. And then throughout the day, There's other hormones that are triggered and released. Um, And then at night, serotonin is actually broken down into melatonin when it's pitch black for your baby. Okay. So again, throughout the day, we're going to open up the curtains. We're going to shut them when it's time to sleep again. We're going to make sure there's not a whole bunch of um, lighting going on when we want our kids to sleep. And we don't want to have TVs and blue screens and blue lights affecting their rhythms either. So pay attention to that. Um, And then at bedtime, use a lamp for your routine. I really like salt lamps. 
Um, you can also use like a hatch baby light, the orange setting or a red bulb or just a dim lamp that's not, you know, brightness, craziness, overstimulating. And go through your routine. But when it's time for your baby to sleep, make the room dark. You know, blackout curtains are great for the nighttime because then you're able to get your child to sleep when you want them to and get them to sleep longer in the morning. So I'm a firm believer in blackout curtains at nighttime. It doesn't have to be blackout curtains during the day. Uh, what matters most is that you can't read in your baby's room. So pull a book in the room with you, check it out. If it's there's enough light in there that you can still read your book, you might want to make it a little darker. And then also I don't want streaming lights to be coming in in between blinds, um, especially on the baby or on the crib. So just a little bit of information for you to think about with the room and the environment as well. Now, I talked about the morning and I wanna talk about that again because another principle that's really important for helping your child's body become re regulated and take advantage of the circadian rhythm is to have your baby wake up at the same time every morning and try not to feel guilty about that, okay? I don't want you to stress about waking a baby. That is an old wife's tale. We live in modern day 2021. We don't have to worry about old practices anymore. If your baby's sleeping well, taking naps, and sleeping great all night, there's no reason to be worried about waking up a baby because your baby's going to be sleeping again soon. It's going to be okay. Um, and we want to make sure that the nights are high quality sleep. That is your biggest priority. Naps are important too, but I prioritize the night sleep. There's so many different factors that make night sleep better and deeper quality. Um, and so the biggest ones have to do with nature. So what we do is we start out by deciding, does my baby have a natural wake time? Does my baby have a natural bedtime? If that's true, shoot for 11 or 12 hours of total night sleep. Um, another side note is that it's really normal for newborns to be up till nine or 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Okay. So it's basically a goal that at some point you want your child to go to bed by this time. Okay. So let's say the morning wake time that's natural is 6am. Well, that means that the night before we want to get baby to bed at six or 7pm to give you 11 or 12 hours of sleep. Your baby might have a natural bedtime. You might find that your baby always gets really tired and is just out sleeping deeper around 8, 8.30. I am not very particular about what bedtime you choose. I know that studies show typical bedtimes, melatonin is releasing sometime between 7 to 8.30 p.m. for most children. But you know that that leaves those variables of before that and after that. So what matters more to me is that your child is getting that great goal of 11 to 12 hours of sleep at night and that we're following your baby's cues. We're paying attention to what your baby does naturally or if you're working and you really don't have a choice for when bedtime is or you don't have a choice for when you have to get up in the morning, totally start there. Some moms, a lot of moms are, are staying home in those first one, two, three months. And so you can choose when you wanna wake up or when do you want your baby to be up? Because that's nice too, right? To be able to say, I'm getting a half an hour to myself if it's possible. So 
I just helped a mom decide this last week and we were talking about what she wanted and it took a little while for her to commit. And I said, don't worry, this can be changed. You don't have to be scared. But she went ahead and chose, I think it was eight in the morning. It just was a nice time to get baby to bed the night before as well. So I think bedtime plan was for eight to 9 p.m. Um, so you're not going to do a lot with bedtime yet. It's just a goal. But the morning wake time is really going to help your baby start to keep those days and nights separate. And you're going to be able to just shape the rest of the day and keep things consistent and then rely on the circadian rhythm to program your baby's little body, um, especially with when the day starts. Okay. So some other things that are really important to know is that there are babies out there who have fear of missing out from a young age. Like this can start in the first week. I've had clients tell me that as soon as they walk towards a bedroom or started to, you know, bounce or rock or whatever, baby was resistant, freaking out, crying, upset, inconsolable. And if that happened to you on a regular basis, every time, I would absolutely trust that you know what you're talking about. A lot of things that moms believe or think come from their own assumptions, things that they might feel or think or um, prefer. So not all of those ideas are correct. Um, but like I said, if you're seeing a pattern like that pretty consistently, then I believe it. And I know that babies do this from experience. So babies that have fear of missing out about going to sleep, um, it's, it's not always fear of missing out. When babies are going through growth periods, um, whether that's growing physically, mentally, or they're learning a new milestone, they're gonna have kind of a wired feeling. They might have a lot more energy. And so when they're tired, they might seem like they're fighting sleep because they just keep waking up, it's hard to fall asleep. But that has more to do with how they're feeling internally. <laughs> with these FOMO babies, you can actually tell that they don't want to go to sleep. They don't want to miss a thing. And there's other traits that go along with these babies, like being very alert, observant, interested in what's going on around them, very social. Um, a lot of times, some point between one, two, three months, you start to notice they have a really, really active energy they're just always moving um and they're really smart and i'm trying to think if there's anything i missed so those are the those are the type of babies that are harder to get to sleep on a regular basis and they confuse their parents like crazy because we've all just been taught to understand that babies need to sleep a lot most of the time in those first few months, right? They're hardly ever awake. That's what we see. That's what we expect. But babies like this are the opposite. They're hardly ever sleeping. And then they're sleeping poorly at night too. And so the parents are like, wait, so if my baby's up all day, it doesn't help with the night sleep. <laughs> That's another wife's tale. Um, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Your child is probably extremely overtired if he or she is missing a lot of day sleep and then having the normal wake-ups at night. And that's hard. It's hard to end a cycle like that, but it's possible. So I don't go into a lot of detail about this unless I'm talking to my clients, but just a few hints about babies like this. They, they can't 
parents can't rely on regular sleep cues for these babies, you're probably going to keep your child awake too long. They have such strong fear of missing out that they don't want to miss the party and it's hard for them to slow down. And so they have very subtle sleep cues or when they get to the strong sleep cues, like yawning or rubbing the eyes or whatever it is, instant tears, overtiredness, and then it's so hard to get them to sleep. Okay. So these are kids that you have to just watch for patterns. You have to try and pick up what's what they're doing on a pretty consistent basis that shows you they're tired. And I've had parents come up with the coolest observations. They are noticing things like baby makes a certain sound, baby does something funny with their body, um, baby gets quiet, baby stops playing. So anyways, you're going to watch for patterns like that. And then you're going to try to respond and get your child to sleep in those situations instead of waiting until uh, the stronger sleep cues that usually mean overtiredness. So this all kind of goes together as being a high energy baby. They're just different. They're wired differently and you can approach them like other kids. And I really like to talk about them because what you're finding out there in the books and the blogs and all the advice is not helpful. So this is just really important to cover. So other traits that you might see that don't go along with the advice that's out there is when a baby's sensitive. These are babies that as soon as they're tired or hungry, they get really fussy. And some of them get really upset and they're hard to console or calm. Um, so again, we don't want to get them to that point. We want to keep them happy and calm. But how do you teach them to put themselves to sleep? <laughs> well, that's tricky. And honestly, I want you to just to take your time with this. These babies are needy, but it's beautiful because like I said, these babies are all so unique. They're their own person already from an early stage. It's so amazing how much personality they can have. But babies that are sensitive are going to be more needy when it comes to their emotions. They're going to be uncomfortable and upset often and easily. And they're going to have a reason, but it's just mysterious for you to figure out what that reason is, especially if it has anything to do with and, you know, being uncomfortable in their clothing, being uncomfortable on their mattress, being more comfortable in your arms. Sensitive babies are also going to have more of the stomach problems and rash problems and allergies and things like that. And so they're just little mysteries to figure out and unravel. <laughs> they take more patience. And they're often the babies who go through that fourth trimester behavior of wanting to be held all the time. And I don't want any of you to think if you have a baby like this, that you're spoiling your baby. It's your fault. Your baby is so needy. You should have done things different. Your baby would have been different. Just get rid of those thoughts because if a baby is that way from the get go, often it's really hard to lay them down and they won't sleep unless you hold them. So these patterns start because of your child's needs, not because you've done something wrong, What's the alternative to ignore your baby, let your baby just lay there and cry or not ever sleep? No, you're responding to your baby's needs, following your intuition, and that should be applauded. You should be getting credit instead of being hard on yourself or letting other people judge you. So remember that when you're responsive, you're tuning into your child's needs. You're doing exactly what they need. You have not messed anything up and you don't want the alternative, you know? So a lot of babies like this 
are really going to be harder during that fourth trimester, which is the first three months. And you don't want to not try to lay them down. But before you even get to that point, you got to make sure that they feel well. Okay. So in my social media and my successful sleep group, everywhere lately, I've just been teaching about the digestive problems that are common, the health problems that are common, because all babies have a form of reflux at first, while their stomachs are still developing. And often sensitive babies are going to carry on and continue to have some type of sensitivity in their, their tummies and their digestion. So we have to unravel that. Okay. Because if they don't feel well, especially with reflux, when we lay them down, they wake back up because they feel pain and discomfort when they're laying down. And also when you're holding your sensitive baby in your arms, that's where they feel safe. And that's where they're comfortable and they're being comforted. And that's a wonderful, beautiful feeling to give your child. So you've got to get rid of all of the expectations that other people are putting on you of how you should act and how you should be with your baby and how other babies are. And just tune into your baby, your baby's needs, respond the way your baby is showing you that they need. Keep on trying to unravel those mysteries. Some of those mysteries might be about their health and how they're feeling. And some of those mysteries are, what are you communicating? Very normal for sensitive babies or fussy babies or babies that are um, just constantly <laughs> changing what they're communicating. It's so hard. I find a lot of moms are feeding their babies really, really often because they've gotten into a habit of responding that way to feed their baby, to make them happy. And they're not always hungry, but it kind of works because these babies need more comfort. Breastfeeding is a natural pain reliever um, and being held physically close to you is comforting. So again, you haven't done anything wrong, but it's good to know at some point, it's probably not what baby needs every time they cry. Let's figure out what it is that your baby does need. So I have just been all over the place in my comments and what I'm sharing with you, but I hope that you're starting to understand more about these little sensitive babies. Um, there's a personality type textbook, textbook babies, that they also cry when they're hungry or tired, but they're easier to console. And these are types of babies that you can probably pat them to sleep and it's really not that hard. Anytime you have a baby that's more challenging to get to sleep, you're probably looking at that high energy slash high needs or sensitive temperament. Okay. Grumpy babies. That's another temperament. They can be confusing, probably more than sensitive or touchy babies are because they can be grumpy for no reason. <laughs> These are babies that just don't smile as often. They seem like they have old souls. They've been there. They've done that. They're bored by you. Sometimes they're more demanding because you have to do more to please them and keep them happy or content. Um, so that's tricky too. And they can be kind of stubborn and really, really attached and know that they just want mama. They want to be held. Again, we're not going to change their temperaments. We're not going to try to force them to be something they aren't. We want to work with them. We want to understand them. We want to love and nurture them and just be what they need. Okay. So I guess that's one thing that I really love about my methods and my approach is that I teach moms to cooperate with, to work with their children's temperaments. I give them tools on how to do that. And 
we focus on pulling out those positive, beautiful things about them and strengthening the, the side of them that's challenging. One side that's challenging is, is health often and also their sleep. So that, that takes time. So it's really important to be patient and it's really important to just tune into your child's needs, your role as mom, your role as nurturer, your role as comforter, and just try to let go of all that outside pressure because I'm sure there's a lot of it and it's exhausting. So talking about newborns, I brought up schedule, I brought up temperament because it really matters when you're looking at the day-to-day. Um, you need to limit how long your baby is awake. So if you have a high energy child, like we talked about a minute ago, we want to make sure that if we're not seeing those sleep cues, that we're not letting baby stay awake too long. So that means probably a baby until they're like two months old, 10 weeks old, isn't going to be awake much longer than an hour. Sometimes they can be awake just a little bit longer, 15, 30 minutes in the evening, because that's when more is going on. It's exciting. You're busy. It's hard to take care of your baby's needs. We have so much to do. Maybe a family member comes home in the evening. So it can be trickier and that's, that's okay. I see that happen sometimes. It's nothing to stress about, but just try to understand that throughout the day, we don't really want, especially a, a newborn to be awake much longer than 30 or 40 minutes. And then once they're one or two months old, an hour, three months old, could be hour, hour and a half. And you're going to figure this out based on your baby's sleep cues. Um, most of the babies are going to be able to just pay attention to the signs that they give you, except for these FOMO babies I told you about. Um, and just experiment with the cues that you're seeing and use the Huckleberry app and track things that are going on. What cues are you responding to when you lay your baby down at this time? Huckleberry will start to predict how, um, how long your baby's awake at different times of the day and start to tell you after a few days of collecting data, um, what time, you know, the next nap is expected. So that's really nice. I teach my clients how to do that on their own because it's so important to be able to have your own intuition, your gut telling you, no, that's wrong. I need to, you know, do, do what I think is right in this case. Or when your child is going through some type of learning or a growth spurt, they're going to have more of that wired feeling and fight their sleep and the Huckleberry app won't be as accurate in those times. So again, you have to be able to know your child's cues and those limits on how long they should be awake. And I find that limiting how long they're awake is huge. It can change so many things about the day-to-day -day when it comes to how your baby acts, how your baby feels, how easy they are to get to sleep, how, um, how good the naps are at some point. It will affect that. It will help your child go to sleep easier in the evening when you want them to, and just be more of a natural process of getting that bedtime earlier. So try it. You will see this makes such a big difference. The last thing I want to tell you about that I love is this concept of making sure the babies don't sleep too long during the day so they eat often enough. So I'm kind of going to talk about the feeding and the limits on how long they sleep in one thing. <laughs> Um, if you're aware that taking longer than a two hour nap is going to actually 
make it harder for your child to sleep at night, I think that's a pretty good motivator to keep an eye on this. So if you can limit your child to two hours or less for any nap, whether you're holding your child or not, then your child's going to eat often enough to not need to eat as much at night, which is a good thing, right? It also gives your child an opportunity to be awake pretty consistently here and there throughout the day so that they're not doing that in the night because they're going to have to have sometime day or night where they have some wakeful periods and balance it all out. It's meant to be during the day. So I really like that. I like to limit how long babies go go without feedings. I actually had a bad experience with my first child. The nurse told me to demand feed my son and I didn't know about nap limits and he would sleep for three or four hours. And when I had family mem- a family member come to visit me, she observed that he was not gaining weight and he was not thriving and he was not doing well. <laughs> and my milk production was down. Um, so we started supplementing him, making sure that he was awake more during the day, all of these things, limiting how um, long he napped and feeding him more often. And just a week went by when you could tell this little guy was chubby, he was thriving. That was my first experience where I realized that some babies can't just demand feed. So you need to have limits. If you want to demand feed, that's great. But just so you know, babies actually can learn to eat on a regular basis pretty easily. You just need to be flexible and make sure that you're meeting their needs, especially during a growth spurt. If your baby's telling you they're hungry, don't ignore that. Don't be forceful. Um, there's another uh, methodology with baby sleep that I followed with my kids. Um, that's popular for a lot of people. And then a lot of people hate it. So you probably know what I'm talking about, but that's where I learned about this regular feeding thing. And in my experience, it works really well to help babies stop needing to eat in the nighttime. So it's definitely a good thing to try. And you want to base how often you feed a baby according to their needs again. So if your baby's eating every hour and a half, then just feed your baby every hour and a half if you're okay with that. I don't think that that is sustainable. So I try to get moms up to about two hours and you can do that really, really slowly by making um, your baby, not making, but like soothing them, comforting them for like five extra minutes for a couple of days. And then you've gotten that um, feeding period up to an hour and 40 minutes and then spend a few more days where you're just trying to coax them to eat uh, five or 10 minutes later. Um, if, it's going smoothly, it's working well, you can keep doing that till you get to two hours. What you usually see is that a baby will just eat more efficiently, they eat more, they're not starving themselves. Diapers are wet, baby's gaining weight, baby's not fussy, it's working to to move things this slowly and carefully, that's good. If it's not working that well, there might be something else going on. Your baby might be eating for comfort because usually when they're eating every hour, um, there's something going on with reflux, tongue or lip tie, where your baby isn't getting the nourishment that they need. So definitely look into that. I can help you with that. You can reach out to me and find out through a free consult. If there's anything, any red flags that I'm noticing, um, that's sweetslumbertime.com forward slash contact hyphen us 
or just go to sweetslumbertime.com and you'll see lots of opportunities, lots of little tabs and buttons to push to, to contact me. So that's, that's how you get the ball rolling for reaching out to me to learn about my services is just to contact me. That way we can really discuss what's going on and what you really need. Um, so anyways, babies will eat for comfort. And a lot of times when it's that often, that's what's going on. Or you're just responding to your baby every time they cry with the feed. And, you know, it's your call. You do what you feel best about. I just think it's easier on mom to, to feed a baby every two hours, two and a half or three hours. And that's actually the range that I want you to, to be at for this regulation that I was talking about that helps them shut off their metabolism in the night is to pick one of those numbers. I don't mean two to three hours. I mean, pick one of those numbers, try to keep your baby kind of on that schedule more during the day. I actually find that that is more important than an eat, play, sleep uh, routine. I like eat, play, sleep. I think it's awesome, but it's not necessary. And sometimes your baby might need to feed before they go to sleep. It's not going to mess things up. It's going to be okay. So try to map out a feeding schedule like that. And then what I want you to do in the evening is give lots of feedings as much as your baby wants or can handle because reflux babies, again, can't eat as much. They can't eat as often. It'll make them spit up. So just be sensitive about that. Um, moms who are doing every two hours during the day, a cluster feed could be two or three one hour spacing feedings that that could work um, or just a couple at an hour and a half. That's fine. Babies who are spaced out more to two and a half or three hour increments. Some moms are doing four hours because their babies are eating so efficiently and they're little chunky babies. Um, a cluster feed in my mind is anywhere from an hour and a half to two and a half hours apart. You just want to try and get a couple of those in. Maybe you want to do more, especially with a younger baby, because they just naturally like to cluster feed. But what this does is it just really tops them off, helps them get lots of food, and it wears them out. So I find that a lot of babies who have colic actually stop having colic, colic symptoms when we try to figure out what's going on with them health-wise, when we limit how long they're awake and we get them to sleep often throughout the day. And when we do this idea of regular feedings with a cluster feed in the evening, I see babies just totally changing into content, peaceful babies who aren't dealing with all the, you know, crying and fussing and they're going to sleep easier around the time that you want to, that gold time of eight or nine o'clock to wake up at eight in the morning. Um, it just makes things doable. So this was a lot of information in a short video. There's other things that are important. I'll just add a couple more. One would be to try and come up with a routine for your baby when it is time to nap or go to bed. And at this stage early on, it doesn't matter what that routine looks like, I promise. Those FOMO babies need you to slow their bodies down. So you do wanna have a period that is slow for them. But the other babies, it can be a two minute routine. It really doesn't matter. You just want to start to shape your nap and bedtime routine right now. And what that means is trying to keep the routine the same, the same steps in the same order. 
And you also want to make sure that routine is in the room that they sleep in. Now, I know that's a big sacrifice and uncomfortable for a lot of moms because they would rather have baby out in the open next to them, in the swing, wherever is convenient. Um, And I understand that. But they do sleep better, deeper, longer when they sleep in a room, usually. And keeping that routine in that same order, basically... One of the steps that will trigger the brain that it's time to go to sleep will be, we just went to the bedroom. The lights are down. You know, what I said earlier about the lights doesn't have to be pitch black for nap time. And that actually helps children be more adaptable when they go out in the car or the stroller that they don't have to have the blackout curtains to sleep. But some babies actually do take better naps with blackout curtains during the day. So don't be afraid to do that if your gut's telling you to to give it a try. So anyways, I just really like having parents use a bedroom for the routine, whether that's nap time or bedtime, it's a good habit. And it does seem to send that message to the baby. It's time to sleep and it will help them. So those are the things that matter. I don't expect there to be a schedule this early. I do expect that that morning and bedtime will become very predictable. And I don't believe in these charts that people try to squeeze their babies routine or schedule into. Like I said, I really want you to figure out the best sleep cues for your child and shape your schedule that way. When your baby is having typical, similar um, wake windows from day to day, typical nap lengths from day to day, whether that's the same time of the day or all the time they're the same, that's when you're going to be able to start using the clock to shape your schedule. Like We always wake up at this time. We always have the first nap at this time. We always have the second nap at this time. That's what I mean. (laughs) Before that, it's going to be based more on your child's wake windows and what's appropriate for them and watching those cues and just being more flexible. Um, I also want you to understand that it's very normal for a young baby to take a 20 to 45 minute cat nap all the time. Some babies will take an hour or two nap once a day. That's great. But it's actually developmentally normal and expected for your baby to take short cat naps until they're about four months old and maybe six months, maybe eight months old. But sometime between four to six months is when they get grown-up sleep cycles, (laughs) develop grown-up sleep cycles. And that's when I expect to see naps become longer on their own. Um, before that, sure. There's lots of babies out there who take two hour naps when they're one or two, three months old. I see it. I hear about it. I think it's cool. I think it's great. But, um, my experience with my clients is that they're often being held to get those longer naps and they're not necessary. A baby can take a short nap and feel fully rested after 20, 30, 40 minutes and move on have some wake time and start the whole thing over 30 or 40 minutes later. What I want you to be aware of is if your child wakes up cranky or fussy, moody, looks exhausted, then your baby probably does need more sleep and you can help them connect sleep cycles by holding them, cutting them back to sleep in their little bed. It will all come together. You just have to be patient, give their little bodies time to grow and develop and don't stress about this please. (laughs) I've had clients like beg me for months to help them with their baby's short naps. And 
when they have reflux or they're just well rested after 20 to 45 minutes, then it's, it's not like I've got a magic wand. I can't change that. We actually need the baby to get older and develop these, these new skills. So that's a lot of information. I hope you took notes. If not, rewatch the video or listen to the podcast again. Um, I really am happy to share these tips with you. I hope that they were helpful. There's so much more for you. I teach moms how to get their babies to fall asleep for naps and bedtime on their own. And that is the ability that can empower them to connect sleep cycles in the night. So that's what I focus on. I use my non-crying methods to teach babies how to put themselves to sleep for naps and bedtime. And that doesn't have to be 100% consistent because sometimes babies are needy and they need to be held when they fall asleep. But I, at some point, want to give them that skill so that they know how to fall asleep and then they can connect sleep cycles in the night. But I also teach babies how to feel very secure, trusting, and at ease and at peace in their beds and by themselves. And my clients go through several activities for a couple of weeks working on this. And then we go into the non-crying method to teach the baby how to fall asleep on their own. And before you know it, baby's self-settling. Baby is sleeping for longer and longer periods and really learning to enjoy sleeping. Even the FOMO babies stop crying and being upset. Uh, most of them, <laughs> depends on what's going on, right? Um, but what I teach is not magic, but it's magical because it makes sense. It's practical based on following your intuition and being responsive, following your heart, mothering from the heart, which is a beautiful thing. I help people let go of all these rules and all these fears and just be a mom and just love your child and take care of them and understand that babies still wake up during regressions. They still have sleep disruptions. They don't always feel well and they often need you to console them. But what I teach helps them to sleep as great as possible, which is awesome. Um, and then as time goes on, their sleep habits deepen and regressions get easier. It's a beautiful thing. So like I said, I like to teach you, I like to share, but I hold on to a lot of these tips and secrets for my clients. So if you want to learn more about working with me, please check out my website, sweetslumbertime.com. On my homepage, you'll find different age categories. So you can go ahead and click on those, find out the options, submit that contact form and get the ball rolling to talk to me. If you're interested in a program, I do offer a free consult. And that way we can meet, you can ask your questions, learn more about expectations. And it's also a good opportunity to talk about your child's health. So that's a great option for you. Thank you so much for being here today. Stay tuned for my future episodes as they're released and um, make sure that you catch old episodes because I've had some really great ones, um, including interviews with other moms. And I think that those hold on, uh, share a lot of great, powerful tips, especially for new moms about how to make life more manageable and pleasant and happy. And um, maybe I'll see you or talk to you soon if you're going to reach out to me to work together. I would really enjoy that. Have a great week.